Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. All right now, Lumberg, I'm, I'm kind of busy. In fact, look, I'm going to have to ask you to go ahead and just come back another time. I got a meeting with the Bobs in a couple of minutes. Uh, I wasn't aware of a meeting with them. Yeah, they called me at home. Conversations about collaboration, episode 40. Chris Good joins me. He's the creative director at One Workplace. We talk about reimagining the office, going to work to get away from home, and the massive opportunity for companies to differentiate themselves through design. Let's get it on. Chris, where does this pod find you? Up on a beautiful Friday after Friday morning, I guess, uh, here in uh, sunny California. Beautiful day. Yeah, it's uh, cooled down a bit. Didn't you guys have some crazy heat a while ago? Absolutely. Crazy, crazy heat wave. Uh, I, thankfully, we didn't get it as bad as some of my friends, friends and colleagues up in Seattle, man. They were just toasted. But uh, here, it's not too bad, actually. The last couple of days have been quite beautiful. Hmm. Let's talk about design because it's come up in a number of different podcasts of mine. And I find the issue fascinating because I'll, I'll paint two extremes. In my experience, I've dealt with either cube farms, right, which were functional. Um, and they didn't lend themselves to collaboration or on the other extreme, these open workspaces that all the research says it disrupts productivity, increases the uh, tendency to get sick, no privacy, right? People have their headphones on anyway. Um, the future of work, the future office, is that going to be more towards one or the other or something completely different? Well, I, I suppose none of us knows the real answer to that at the moment. And I would suppose every single one of us maybe has more control over what that future is going to be than we've ever, ever had before. Um, you know, uh, what work looked like for most of us, most of our lives, those of us who are at a, at a certain age where we have worked for most of our lives, uh, that was dictated to us. We were given a scenario that we had to fit within and we fit as best we could, if we could, um, and, or we rebelled and jumped out of that system and went somewhere and did something else. Now that's changed. Uh, if for no other reason than the people who traditionally have been responsible for shaping workplace, uh, leaders within organizations or in organizations large enough to have facilities teams and, and folks who think about that every single day, they're at a loss. Uh, they're trying to figure it out. Uh, this is a crazy moment in time where everything they thought before about what a workplace should be, how it should function, how it should support them and to make sure it's it's easy to maintain and, and scale. It's all gone out the window. Um, and now they're looking at great big buildings, you know, huge uh, swaths of real estate that for the most part empty. And certainly if you're in California, uh, the Bay Area, these big empty floors of buildings that were designed to be super efficient to cram in lots and lots and lots of people. So you'd have 400 people sitting shoulder to shoulder with their earbuds in cramming away programming. Uh, and they're just sitting there empty. Uh, they are looking for a cue as to what they're going to change or what they're going to do to inspire these people to come back in. Uh, and each of us, uh, many of us at least, are, can I, can I curse? Fuck no. Yeah, like, fuck that. I'm not coming to the office. 
uh, because I'm working at home and it's way better than me for me. And I don't have to commute six hours in my day to go be there. So unless you show me something really, really, really worth coming to, I'm not coming uh, to the point that you know, organizations are very popular. I won't drop the names of them, but have Haitian statements. Hey, we're bringing everybody back. And believe me, I'm a believer in why we have to bring people back for certain reasons. Uh, and there are people like, no, make me. Uh, and fast, fast backtracking to say, well, okay, uh, we're not going to make everybody come back. We're going to look at something different. We're going to figure this out um, uh, to varying degrees. Uh, and so there's a voice now that the regular employee of every organization suddenly all, all for the moment has that we didn't have before that's going to help shape that. Um, and we're being asked, hey, tell us, what do you need for this future work experience for you to be something that's meaningful? Uh, that will make it worth coming back and spending time with other people in the same place again, uh, worth doing. So against that backdrop, then what are some of the more experimental companies doing? I've read a little bit about portable walls, which for all I know, aren't particularly new, but no. one of my theses is that if you've got two companies that basically compete in the same industry, right? Same level of management, same product, whatever, One's got a kick-ass office, right, slash collaboration center to which you'd actually want to come in two or three days a week, maybe not all the time. And then you've got company B, which is old school, right? We're doing it the old-fashioned way, butts and seats, yeah. nine, to, nine to five, Monday through Friday, because they're not comfortable with anything else. All else being equal, I will bet on company A any day of the week and twice on Sunday. Now, for the organizations that are in that A group that are that – are, uh, rethinking why people should return and what that return looks like. Uh, one big assumption I think a lot of them are making is it's obviously not to come do the thing we did before. Uh, if I have the giant floor full of desks that just is a sea of places for people to sit, that's pretty much just going to be empty and a, and a waste of my real estate and a waste of my time and energy because nobody's going to come fill that if they're given the choice. So it has to be something different. So what are those other experiences that will be meaningful to us? You mentioned walls. Well, the reason walls might be important is because more of us might need places for privacy uh, because we may not have that at home. Uh, they've got kids and dogs and thousand things happening. They want a better place to focus. Not all of us are better focusers at home, um, uh, but you may not need that. You might actually need collaboration or connection with others or more social connection, or maybe it's even just respite. Uh, we used to go home to get away from work, recenter, ha and have this uh, you know human experience again because work was just crushing us all day long. We came home and we just blended those things together. So now I'm just getting crushed all day with a, with like my brain is just overwhelmed with things that I need to do and people asking things and uh, and a million things to learn and, and ex be exposed to. Now I need to get out of my house. I've got to go somewhere else just to recenter to think. So, so maybe uh, work uh, or the workplace or other places outside of home become the places that I now have to go to get that experience. Um, uh, it's going to be a wide variety of things, and it's going to be something different for every person, and it's going to be something different for every person at various times in the day. So my vision, at least, of what the, a really successful work experience will look like in the you know, near future is a place that hosts a wide variety of different kinds of experiences 
and gives their employees the choice of control over how and when they use them at any moment of the day. It's, it's like this executive retreat center that's available to you 24 seven uh, to get away from home. If you need to get away from home or step away from a desk, if you need to step away from a desk and you just pick and choose what you need for that moment. I can see that model really disrupting a lot of senior leaders mindsets, right? Well, yeah. you know, you had your playtime 18 months working at home. Now it's time to go back to the real office. Uh, will it take employees quitting in droves before some of the more high bound folks get on board or it probably just depends cool. on the organization. Cool. Yeah. I think there's going to be some of those who are the early adopters who are going to try these kinds of things and see what works and what doesn't. There's going to be those laggards who sit back, wait and watch. They don't want to make a big real estate shift now because there's a lot of cost and risk in that. Uh, I think those guys probably are going to get the most pressure from their employees uh, because those employees are going to be waiting and watching and seeing what others are doing and either jumping ship to go find to be a part of that or demanding it. Um, they, how long they're willing to wait, uh, I suppose we will, we will, we will see. Um, but I, I think this has kind of proven to us just in these last few these months of uh, places starting to reopen. Um, uh, everybody's not just going to jump on one thing. Uh, 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 and so it makes me wonder that... Uh, I would almost rather be the innovator who's out trying as opposed to the one who's, who's waiting to the last minute to make a change. Because I think, I think that's where the real risk is. I couldn't agree more based on my fairly limited understanding of office design and right on the front page of my website, pretty sure I made this one up, but this is not an uncommon sentiment. The costs of inaction are typically higher than the costs of action. You're nodding your head, but say more. And you can try little things right now. You don't have to redeploy your entire real estate portfolio and divest of big buildings and do hubs and satellites and, and change all these things. Just make small changes now. Take what you have and yeah, give me, give me some designate some it for small, a new purpose. Give me some examples of some small changes because um, I think some people might be overwhelmed and think it's all or nothing, but you're saying no. Well, sure, sure. Imagine you've got that great big floor of, 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 of open office workstations, the sea of desks that's just sitting there empty. Uh, you could tear it all out and you could put something else in its place. Or you could recognize, at least at the moment, at least, not everybody's going to come back. Uh, so I'm not worried about it being filled. Uh, so why don't I just redesignate it for different purposes? Uh, throw a sign around it and say, hey, this area is for focus. Or hey, this area is for team collaboration and put them far enough apart. Uh, that they're not going to mess up with each other because you know, and designate the whole space in between is just off limits to create the space. You have the chance right now to test, to prototype, to iterate, to carve something out of cardboard and make a screen and stick it up uh, and throw a big sign on it saying, hey, we're learning. We're going to try something. Um, do those tests now when it's super cheap and you're not going to offend for the 400 people who normally sit there, but you know, maybe just the five who showed up that day. Or the twenty or thirty who you encourage to come in for you know this uh, uh, this moment, maybe even invite people to be a part of that experiment. Collect their feedback. Throw a QR code on there with a survey. Tell us what you, what you liked about today. Um, change it the next morning. Try something else. Learn, iterate, do something new. I could talk to you for hours. I I think a lot about this notion um, of the lean startup. Eric Reese's book. Um, You've probably heard of it. And this notion of a minimal viable product. 
why couldn't you do that with some part of the office? And then to your point, collect the data, see if the experiment worked, right? See if employees are actually coming in the office and where they're going, because if they're not coming in because they have to come in to sit in a designated eight by eight cube or whatever, um, that might be a way of navigating the uncertainty. And every facilities manager's nightmare, let them change it themselves. Give them some tools to move stuff around. Ooh. Within limits. We don't want anybody getting hurt. <laughs> don't want anyone getting hurt, but I... The scene I, from Office Space with the drill, he drops the wall. It's like, hey, oh, such a, I'm I've got a window. come back, Lumberg. He's playing Tetris. It's just brilliant. <laughs> so does this dovetail into some of the work that you're doing with the Work Better Lab? Uh, absolutely. Uh, and maybe for some of your, your, your listeners, watchers, um, uh, that's a, a project that we've undertaken. It's a bit of a prototype experience ourselves. Uh, it's located in Seattle, Washington. Uh, it's an offshoot of an experience we uh, completed uh, in December, January, just this last year. We did a similar prototype experience here in San Francisco. Uh, was up for several months. It was a re-envisioning of the work experience that uh, was a place for us to test all of these ideas, not just with furniture, uh, but with technology and new way, th- ways of thinking about protocol um, and uh, uh, you know, the first to pass, of course, was really heavily based on sort of the health and safety aspect. Um, now, the Work Better Lab that's in Seattle is very much based on the human experience. How do we make a work experience that uh, is more engaging, is more meaningful, that people want to be a part of, um, both visually and aesthetically? We're interior designers, as a, that's a big part of what we do. But from a technology standpoint, making it more of a uh, easy way to engage people who are physically present as well as uh, virtually, you know, joining in, um, addressing those various kinds of concerns like a place for respite at the workplace or imagining what happens if my kids come to work with me? Um, you know, what does that look like for them? Where do they have a place to go? How do they uh, remain uh, fully engaged and have a meaningful moment during the day? Um, all these ancillary ways of thinking about what work might be, let's model it, test it, invite people to come spend time there um, and see what we learn. You read my mind because we were talking about physical design and office space, but uh, I'm fundamentally a geek at heart. Talk to me a bit about the role you see for digital tools in the future office or offices or collaboration space, whatever you want to call it, Uh, specifically things like telepresence, because I was just reading, I think it was Project Starlight. Don't quote me on that. It's a Google research project to almost simulate visiting a prisoner, but you're in the same room. It's and in the se- same room. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're separated by this wall type thing and who knows if it's going to work, but I think we would all agree. And I've made this point before, forget zoom for a minute, just go back to the late nineties with conference calls, right? You were a voice coming from a black box. Your presence was effectively zero. Uh, maybe it's never completely equal in a world of telepresence tech, but surely we can do better than zero. My my nerdism is going to come out of me. There was a, uh, speaking of 90s, there was a television show in the late 90s. I think it was called Earth 2. It, mm. it was terrible. I think uh, uh, it was awful. But I remember there was this uh, part of the show where these people are out on another planet and they've got to talk back to other folks back on Earth. And they would throw this quick little headset on and suddenly they were in the room. Uh, with the people who were way back on earth, uh, like they were right there next to each other. Uh, And I've not seen a technology yet that really feels and and looks and experiences exactly what that is. 
Uh, we're testing some things. There's a great company called Spatial that's trying something very similar right now uh, that uh, we're trying to partner with to explore. If I'm at home, how do I feel like I'm in the room uh, with the person who's in the room uh, and have that moment uh, feel more uh, intuitive and uh, just natural? Yeah. Um, but we've, we're on the path to getting to that place. And we all realize the reason why we need it. Because, I mean, we're all experiencing it right now. Uh, when we all went home, it was a, a more manageable experience uh, than it's going to be very soon when half of us are in the office and half of us are in a thousand different places. And just the equity of that moment and the ability to connect and feel uh, uh, like there isn't a side conversation going on that you're not a part of. And, and the fact that some people have a tactile experience and you know you don't, uh, we've we're going to have to find a way to uh, bring those experiences together. I love that so many people are trying to figure it out, but that's going to be a big part. I think in the next six to 18 months of this work from home and in the office hybrid experience, if we can get that right. Uh, it's going to really shift all of our understanding of the value of being in one place versus another. Um, uh, so I guess we will see. Uh, but tools like that, tools that allow you to feel like you're in a room with a bunch of people, whatever the, whatever the solution to that is, um, uh, are really sort of the, uh, the holy grail here of how do we make collaboration happen again? Yeah, I agree with you from what I've read and the conversations I've had with folks and research I've done. If everyone's all on the same page, it may not be the best page, but there's an equality to it, right? Yep. Yes. We all sit in these terrible gray cubes. Right. Or yes, we're all dealing with Zoom meetings. But what if some of us are dealing with Zoom meetings? Maybe we don't all have the best internet connectivity, there's latency, whatever. And some of us are in the office. You know, could you make the argument that you might as well just deal with the one hour commute because it sucks, but you'll get more out of it. And if we can equalize things as much as we can, then you really come in because it's the right decision and not because of FOMO or whatever. There was a, um, a, a some folks I spoke to a couple of years ago when Zoom was just sort of getting off the ground and they were facing this problem before a lot of us others, lot, the rest of us were because they were already a very distributed company. And they had come up with a plan at that time that they would defer to sort of the lowest common denominator. If they had 10 people in the office for a meeting and another 30 or 40 who were remote, they would force everyone to call into the call remote, uh, even if they weren't physically, even if they were physically there. Interesting. Uh, and at the time, it was this, this equity play. How do we just level the playing field, make everybody feel like they're in the, the, at the same, having the same experience? Uh, and when I first heard that, I thought, I love that so much. You know, it's just, it's just, it cares for all of those who are, who are remote. It, it, it puts their experience in the front of our mind. Let's make sure we're doing that. But now that we're further along, I'm starting to realize, like, well, well damn, why do we have to, to defer to the lowest common denominator? Why do we have to make everybody's experience less uh, meaningful in order to have a meaningful experience? Wouldn't it be great if we could figure out how to do the other way around? Uh, how do we make everybody feel like they're having the best experience possible? We've got to work to that solution, um, but uh, yeah, I'm excited to see how we get there. Yeah, I would be annoyed if I slept in the office along with 10 of my colleagues and we could have the meeting in a room, in an open area, whatever, read the body language, right? Get yeah. something out of it, spend less time looking at screens, be focused, be present. 
but because Johnny didn't feel like coming in today, right? We all have to do the Zoom thing, which yeah. I think you could argue is a management issue, which brings me to one of the closing questions I had for you. Um, what are some of the management implications of all this, right? Because if we're, mm-hmm. we're asking employees to come to work because they'll have a good experience there, yes, we could compel them, but people tend not to want to be compelled. I've always said that want to always beats has to. Uh, I, I'm one of those people who, uh, if, if compelled suddenly for whatever reason, better or worse, uh, wants to do the exact opposite thing. Uh, so <laughs> my brother so from another mother. Yeah. It's the easiest way to get me to say, you can't do this. Is to, to tell to me say, yeah, yes, to do yes. it. Yeah. 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 Uh, th- th- that is me. And, uh, uh, I've got to live with that. And everyone who's on this call who I know maybe is now, uh, laughing. Um, but I suppose for, for leaders and for managers, you already hit one of the risks, which is, uh, you know, everyone who's gone through this experience has gone through a moment of crisis. And that moment of crisis has had a just tremendous stress on who we are and how we work and how we fit into our work lives and our personal lives. And we're, we just started coming out of that stress and, and getting used to this scenario. And now we're going right back into a new one, uh, either because we're being asked to come back in. Um, compelled to come back in, or it's uncertain whether we're coming back in or not, or what those requirements are even going to be. Uh, And it's causing us to make decisions about why we even do what we do and why we choose to make uh, the commute or why we choose to work for certain organization or why we choose to put up with what we we put up with. Uh, And as we've seen in, you know, in stories in the news recently, a lot of people are saying, I'm done with that. I'm going to try something different. I'm going to chase some other passion. So I, my advice is maybe twofold. One, uh, be mindful of the fact that our, our teams feel that way. Um, and as we introduce them to a new work experience, let's make it about them and let's include them in that, in that discovery process. Let's not impose it to, uh, without their voice and their input and their, uh, and their needs in mind. Um, and then the second piece of that is... let's not assume we're going to get it right. (laughs) Uh, There's a high likelihood that many of the things we attempt here and try and uh, decide to do are going to be off and we're going to have to make rapid shifts. So let's be agile and let's adapt with the changes as they come. Good stuff, Chris. I'll get you out of here on this. What book are you currently reading? Uh, I just picked up a book called Ask Iwata, which is about a uh, uh, former president of uh, Nintendo. Uh, random pickup, but I thought, you know, I was a kid in that time. I loved Nintendo. And what I knew about him as, as a leader was he was this developer that was just an absolute brilliant at what he did. Uh, and I know so many people in my lives are just absolute incredible contributors. And he shifted from being that absolute incredible contributor to being uh, uh, this aspirational visionary leader, people absolutely adored and hung on every word he said. Uh, uh, something I think all of us who've ever had the chance to to inspire others would uh, love to have a similar experience. So, hoping to little, learn a little more about uh, uh, Satoru Iwata and uh, uh, maybe put some, bring some of that into my my own personal work experience. Good stuff, Chris. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, 
If you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.